Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys today. So um, a few months ago, we started looking at what we were going to do as far as our teaching series for the month of January, February, and March, and who our speakers were going to be. And we landed on a a guest speaker for today, and I'm really excited to introduce you to him today. Uh, Our guest speaker today has been a uh, urban missionary uh, for a little over eight years now. Part of his time spent in the Bronx in New York City, and part of the time in Philadelphia, working mostly with internationals. And um, he is here to share a hard truth with you today. I'm really excited to have him here. His name is Gabriel Brazel. He also happens to be one of my sons. So welcome, Gabe. Thanks. I was also going to say good morning, church, but we got that out of the way. Ah, as my dad said, my name is Gabriel Brazel. Um, a little about me real quick. I... I follow Jesus. Uh, I have a beautiful wife and, and three kids. They're pretty cool. I love Marvel movies and, and pretty much anything that the Marvel Studios has, has put out now that they're doing TV shows and, and all that. I, I can hardly keep up, but I, I try really hard. And the St. Louis Cardinals are by far my favorite sports team. Oh, and, and my dad said I, I live in Philadelphia, so not, not too far away from, from you guys over here. Today, though, um, as fascinating as it might be, I'm I'm not only going to talk about myself. We are going to talk about a hard truth from Jesus, and and so let's go ahead and and dive into that. The truth that I get to talk about today is this one. Love your enemy. Let's jump into the book of Matthew real quick. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Jesus is pretty clear here. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It doesn't seem like we would be needing sermon after sermon kind of on this idea or on this topic. But here we are today as as a church, as people in the world 2,000 years after Jesus. and, And it's still really hard to love our enemies. What does that look like? So we're going to talk about that some today. Before I dive into the rest of my message, I'm I'm going to open up and and just say another prayer. You know, God is here with us, and and I want to to really recognize and and ask that, that we hear the things we need to hear today. So Father God, we acknowledge your presence. You are here with us, and you are holy. Because you are here with us, God, who can stand against us? Lord, even while we were still enemies of the cross, buried deep in sin, you you loved us. And you still love us. So let us love, Father, with your love. If there's a truth from you that you want us to hear today, let us hear it. Whether or not it actually comes out of my mouth, let us hear the truth you want us to hear. You are grace. You are love. You are our everything. And we thank you for this moment, for this place. For this time that we have to be together, God, use my words to communicate your love. Amen. So when I first found out, I, was, I had the opportunity to, to talk about loving your enemies. I, I had this idea, and I was like, you know, looking, I've, I've visited Fork before, and I've seen some videos from, from you guys doing preaching, and, and oftentimes the people up here wear like these, these ravens or orioles jerseys, right? Like, that seems to be the, the, a theme And so I thought, oh, I'm going to wear like a Steelers jersey. (laughs) 
and uh, or maybe a Yankees hat, something that'll get the people of 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 this part of the Mid Atlantic to kind of be frustrated at me a little bit, just to kind of give me a glare, like, "Hey, you are enemy," you know. I actually don't own a Steelers jersey, and I don't have that many friends that that are Steelers fans, and so that was kind of hard to come by. And I wouldn't, for the life of me, wear a Yankees hat. Like, I could not do it. Like, I'd put it on, and it would just automatically catch fire because I would hold a lighter to it. But I just think that also a third reason I couldn't do this is is because I feel like that as cool of an example as that is, you know, I'd be up here, and you guys would be glaring, and I would would be like, okay, you see me? Now love me. But but that would be kind of cheesy. And cheesy isn't exactly, I think, what the church needs to hear today. See, I don't think that it was sports rivalries that Jesus had in mind when he told his followers to love their enemies. During the time of of Jesus, the Jews, they were under Roman occupation. The Romans were their overlords, and they weren't necessarily nice ones. The Samaritans, they were were these half-blooded Jewish kind of pseudo-people that claimed that the Jewish religion followed by the actual Jews was illegitimate. They, they said, you Jews aren't worshiping God right. We have the correct understanding of the Torah. We follow God correctly. You don't. And so the Jews also thought of them as enemies. John the Apostle, he describes their relationship with the Samaritans. In John chapter 4, he wrote, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, period. And Jesus himself, that man had some enemies, We can read in Matthew 26 and and, and many other places, but Matthew 26, the following words, when the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, there they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Now that's no sporting rivalry. That's life and death. See, I think sometimes in the church today, we kind of like the VeggieTales versions of Jesus' stories, of his teachings. You guys, you guys catch that reference? I, I grew up in, in Midwest uh, Bible Belt Christianity, and instead of watching the Ninja Turtles on Saturday morning, you know, I got to watch the VeggieTales. And they taught me some good lessons. However, they were kind of tame, too. They, they tamed them down a little bit because it's a show for children. There's, there's truth there, but it's, it's a little more easy to accept. And I'm no longer a child, but, but I think most of us, we still kind of like tame stories. We like safe teachings, But Jesus wasn't always safe. It'd be safe if Jesus would have taught and he would have said, hey, loving your sporting rival is exactly what I mean when I say love your enemies. It would have been safe. It would have been tame if Jesus would have said, hey, loving someone who absolutely hates crab cakes is loving your enemies. It would have been safe. It would have been tame if Jesus would have said, loving someone who eats bread with the butter side down, like in Dr. Seuss, that's loving your enemies. But Jesus didn't say these things. Jesus was full of hard truths. He was full of hard truths. We're going to go back to that text, uh, Matthew 5, verses 41 through 47. Um, If you have one of the paper Bibles from the back, it's page 775. Uh, This is a part of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. It's thought to be really a a common collection of of teachings that that Jesus taught here on on the Mount to a group of people. Um, But kind of they're reoccurring in Jesus' ministry. Verse 41 starts off, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as in your heavenly Father is perfect. That's hard. That's a lot to take in. We're going to try to take it in together. We're going to break it down a little bit. I mentioned earlier that, that during the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was, was ruling in Israel. The Romans were the Jews' overlords. And because of that, the Jewish people had to abide by some of their ways. One of these ways um, that the, they had to abide by was if a Roman soldier was passing through, and, and Jesus touches on this in the teaching, if a Roman soldier is passing through and he sees you, a Jew, he can be like, hey, I got all this heavy stuff, you know, I want you to carry it, and you got to carry it for a mile outside of the city limits. That's frustrating. Jesus tells them, don't just carry it one, carry it two miles. But that's another story for, for another time. Back to the Roman, it's kind of a dirty thing to do. You're already in charge, and now you're bullying these people? Like, hey, carry this stuff. Imagine, hum- humor me for a moment, and, and maybe yourself. Imagine if the Canadians took over the U.S., right? The Canadians. Like, that's funny already, right? All right, so just to rub dirt in our eyes, not only are the Canadians now our overlord, but Justin Bieber passes by. He's Canadian, I think, right? And he's like, hey, not only do you have to listen to my music all the time, but also, how about you grab the hockey gear, the poutine, the keg of maple syrup, and carry it for a bit, eh? Like, that's frustrating, man. Come on. That's, that's not nice. That's not nice. But Jesus goes on in verse 43, and he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the teaching that, that had been going on. That's easy, right? We can, we can, we can hate those Romans. A, a little background about this, this quote. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, you've heard it said. And so we kind of assume that's in Scripture somewhere. That's in the Old Testament. But that's not in Scripture anywhere other than right here. I mean, we read it in verse 43. But that's not an old teaching of God. God didn't tell the Jews ever, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. It was a popular teaching likely of that day, just kind of something people believed. Something we still kind of believe in our society. You know, I, I hear all the time, from my neighbors and friends in, in Philadelphia, like, you know, if you got my back, I got your back, but don't cross me, right? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. We like good guys, and we like bad guys. In a movie, we often really want a hero that we can cheer for and love, and a villain that we can hate. I have kids, and when we watch movies that, that humanize the villain, and they give the villain likability, uh, they... It's really difficult for my children, especially my six-year-old. He's always just like, but wait, I thought he was the bad guy. You know, it's given him some backstory, and, and that can be confusing. But Jesus says not to hate the enemy, but rather love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And then he says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. See, children often do a lot of things like their parents. If you watch kids long enough, you might pick up 
things about their parents. I'm always kind of nervous when people watch my kids because I'm like, oh no, what will my kids say that reflect how I parent or how I talk or, or what I do? Because children mimic the things that, that they see. And we too, as children of our Father, are to mimic God in the way that he loves maybe even his enemies. This next part of Scripture, it's about our Father God, the very nature of God, I think, and it's, it's beautiful and it's really important. And it says, For he, God, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This verse here screams to me that God cares for everyone. And that's important. He takes care of the good and the bad. God is love, and he even loves our enemies. I used to live in New York City, and when I lived there, I had this wonderful opportunity to go host conversational English practice groups at Columbia University. Columbia is this beautiful, prestigious, ranked number 11, I think, in the world university, at least at that time. And here I was, this humble Missourian, just a, a few shades less red on the neck than my father, walking onto this campus of prestige and, and intelligence. I was like, wow. And I recognized that place. I was like, I've seen this place somewhere. And students are like, well, yeah, you know, our current president, Barack Obama, he graduated from here. So you've probably seen it like in news clippings and like a lot of famous people went here. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait, I know, Spider-Man went here. I'm a Marvel fan. Like, this is where Tobey Maguire, is, his, his Spider-Man, went to uh, college. I, I know that from the movies. And so while he wasn't in my class, which was unfortunate, I was there. And I was, I was helping these international students with English, even though these guys, you know, their IQs were probably like double digits above mine. Anyways, I'm there and I'm helping him with English. And, and we're there. And while, while we're having introduction conversation, this student says, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm from India and I'm studying chemical engineering. This student says, hey, I'm so-and-so and I am from China and I'm studying biomedicine. This student says, hey, I'm so et cetera. You get the point. And so for myself, I say, hey, I'm Gabriel. I am from the United States. I'm here to help you with English. Um, I'm also a follower of Jesus. I told you guys I, I like Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and if you're ever interested in, in learning about him or, or the religion of Christianity, many of them weren't familiar really with Christianity, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that outside of this class. But, but this is about English. And amazingly, several students took me up on this through our relationship. And, and over the course of a couple of years, I got to start quite a few Bible studies, which was awesome. I had this one friend who, who was a part of one of these studies, and he was really interested in the teachings of Jesus. He was from Taiwan, and, and we'll, we'll call him Chen. He, uh, he did end up eventually um, becoming a Christian, which, which is really cool. It's something I, I celebrate and get excited just even thinking about. But, but there was one day before he went back to Taiwan um, that we were going to kind of have like a final out-to-eat meal together. And while we're together, I can tell that something's troubling him. You know, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because he's about to leave. And, and I think that was troubling a little bit, but, but there was something else. And I waited, and I waited, and then he brought up a teaching of Jesus. He brought up a teaching of Jesus. It was one about workers who were hired throughout various times of day. And he was kind of troubled by this teaching. I don't know how familiar you guys are with this, with this story, but I can, I can share it with you um, in summary really quick. It was harvest time, 
and there was a farmer who needed lots of help. In Philadelphia, we don't really have a harvest time, but maybe you guys do around here, and apparently there's a lot of work to do during harvest time. And so this farmer, he needed lots of help, and so he goes out first thing in the morning to the village, and he sees some guys who look like they can work for him, and he's like, hey, I'll give you 200 bucks if you come work with me. It'll be a long day, 12 hours probably, but, but we got work to do, and I'd love to have you work for me. And they're like, oh yeah, that's a fair wage. We'll come and do that. We'll, we'll do it. And so they come, and they're, and they're working with him. At 9 a.m., the farmer's like, oh, we got a lot to do still. He goes back to town. Hey, come work with me. More guys come and work with him at 9. He goes back out at noon. He goes back out at 3. Four different times he's went and hired workers. At 5 o'clock, he realizes, man, we got a lot of stuff to put up. He goes back to the town again and hires more workers to come and work for him. It's a lot of guys. After cleanup, the farmer, he takes out his, his wallet. It must have been a really fat wallet. And he pays 200 bucks roughly, to these guys who only worked for like an hour, hour and a half to do cleanup. And so the guys who have, you know, worked all day, they're over here thinking like, 200, we worked 12 hours, they worked one, we're going to make like over $2,000. But the farmer goes through, 200 for you, 200 for you, 200 for you, and he gets to the guys who worked for 12 hours, hands them $200. Not fair, right? Not fair, they cry. Not fair, our hearts think. But the farmer says, I'm not being unfair. Didn't you agree to work for $200? That's the story. That's the story that my friend was so bothered about. What does this mean? My friend asked me. I I turned the question around. What do you think it means? I asked him. I think it means that God will reward us all, even if we maybe turn to him in the last minute. He replied with a downcast face. Now for me, I've always liked the idea of God's great mercy but my friend was troubled. Well, what do you make of this teaching? I asked him. It's very difficult to accept, my friend Chen replied. He then proceeded to tell me that, that just that morning there had been a, a knifing attack on a Taiwanese subway car that had killed six people. He didn't know these six people, but that was in his hometown. It was affecting him as he was preparing to go back, and he asked me, does this mean if I accept God now, that, and this killer accepts Jesus later on in his life, before he dies, that we will both be rewarded? Wow, it's a hard question. God is love, and he even loves our enemies. For some, this is a very hard truth. He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We're going to move forward in the verses to verse 46 through 48. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Speaking of the tax collector, I'm I'm immediately reminded of one we read about in Luke 19. The story goes that Jesus was coming to Jericho. And Jesus, he had the celebrity type status. Wherever he went, people wanted to see him. The good people and the guys we would consider the enemies. And in this story... There's this bad character, this this slippery guy, famous for his elaborate lifestyle and for cheating everyone around him to attain said lifestyle. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus, but he's short. Maybe shorter than me. I don't know. Like, I'm pretty short. And sometimes whenever there's a crowd and you want to see what's going on, like, I can't see over, but, you know, I kind of slip through and then I can get to the front. But they see this guy, and since he's the enemy, they're just like, you know, forming a human chain. They're not letting him through, Right? And he's like, but I really want to see Jesus. So he climbs up a tree 
And he looks down and he sees Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus looks up and he sees him. And Jesus says, I'm going to your house today, Zacchaeus. See, the people of Jericho, they had no love for this tax collector. They knew the rule and they were following it. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus didn't live by this rule. Jesus loved him. And we're to love like Jesus, even if it's hard. Loving those who love you is human. Loving the enemy is what Jesus asks us to do. Loving those who love you is human. Loving the enemy is what Jesus asks us to do. Does that make you uncomfortable? Does Jesus make you uncomfortable? He sometimes makes me uncomfortable. To follow Jesus requires us to follow and to live out some hard truths. The last part of this passage from Matthew, it reads, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's daunting. It's really daunting. What does that mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the Greek and the Latin explanations. And I, I am going to tell you that I, I don't think it's quite as hard as we think, maybe. I mean, the perfection part. But it's still really hard. A lot of people have pointed out that this word that's translated to perfect in this text is translated as, as mature throughout the rest of the New Testament. Mature, as in a full understanding, or complete. Be mature like God. So in this context of love, maybe it's don't just love those who love you, but be like God and love everyone, even your enemies. Be complete in your love, not partial, but full. So we get the command. Jesus really did say it pretty clearly. Love your enemies fully. Now I've been talking, and maybe as I've been talking, you've had some enemies come into your mind. Well, I'm not you, and, and I cannot name your own personal enemies. I, I assume that at least some of you have them. Maybe it's people that we legitimately have raw hatred for, people who have hurt us badly. Maybe it's just people we refuse to see or, or we don't want to see. But the truth is, is we are likely enemies of someone, and we likely have enemies ourselves. See, we live in a time that, that it seems that it's more polarized than ever. It's easy to find enemies. They, they come in in abundance. It doesn't seem that we want to look at people and realize you have good and bad all meshed up in your humanity. But we see good guys, and we see the nasty others. And, and we always find ourselves, I think, in the category of the good guys. Right? It's easier to hate people who don't seem fully human, if you will. I mentioned earlier that my son, he really needs to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, like in movies and even sometimes in my neighborhood. But my son's six. Most of us, looking around the room, are older than he is. But we still kind of like to know who we're supposed to cheer for and who we're supposed to cheer against. Who do we cheer for and who do we hate? A lot is now known about the, uh, the Russian and Ukrainian conflict uh, the all-out horror and terror that um, that, that country is having to go through uh, under the hands of the Russian military and, and government, and it, and it is tragic. When that first came to light, though, I had a friend, we didn't know, you know, like, what's going on? We heard that there was a, a, a attack on something, and, and the Russians said, well, it's because of this, and, and, and he came over to me, and he said, hey, who are we supposed to be cheering for in this? 
And I replied, by the grace of God, I said, I, I think we're to be praying for everyone. And now, I don't know if everyone in here has an enemy, but, but I ask that you examine your heart and see what you find. I do know that some of you, whenever I'm talking about enemies, you know exactly who your enemy is. And, and I'm not talking about the devil, though he's an enemy of us all. But you actually are thinking of a name or a face or a group of people. And, and if you are, it's okay. That picture can stay in your head. I don't know who your enemy is, but I do know that as hard as it might be, Jesus has called us to love them. Maybe it's your boss or, or your spouse or, or your brother or your ex-best friend. Maybe it's a group of people, the, the Black Lives Matter protesters or, or the Trump rally attenders. Maybe it's some dumb teenagers who are always leaving their, their trash and beer bottles by your pristine fishing spot. Maybe it's any Russian national or Vladimir Putin himself, you know, as that video played like those Christians are praying. Even the Ukrainian Christians are called to love their enemy. Wow. Maybe it's the, the Islamic extremist or the Chinese government. Maybe it's an undocumented, undocumented immigrant. Maybe it's woke Christians filling up your Facebook feeds or your neighbor who has so much junk and old cars in his front yard that you know your property value decreases by the hour. Maybe it's a whole part of town that is just the enemy. Or maybe it's someone close to you who's abused you or used you. Someone that has brought you more pain than any person should have to ever endure. And if that's you, I'm sorry and I mourn with you. And I realize that I speak from a place of privilege as I've probably not had to endure what you've had to endure. But I do know that whoever it is, this group or person that we see as the enemy the enemy to hate, the other, that's us, that's our vision, being clouded by our own human eyes and not seeing through the eyes of Christ their precious humanity. In this sermon series thus far, we've, we've talked about denying ourselves, forgiving others, and removing sinful temptations. I think that loving our enemies requires all of these. We deny ourselves the need to be loved back because loving those who love you is human, but loving your enemy is what Jesus asks you to do. We forgive those who have wronged us. We keep our hands in our pockets and our tongues in our mouths, at least sometimes. If, if we're going to hit our neighbor or our enemy, we keep our hands in our pockets unless we're going to use them to serve. We're going to keep our tongue in our mouth if we're going to cuss out our neighbor, but, but if we have a word of, of conversation, maybe, maybe we can speak that one. It's a hard truth of Jesus to love our enemies. It's hard to say, and I think it's even harder to do. What does it look like? What does it look like to love your enemies? Last summer on, on the block that we live on, my family and, and a couple other houses, we, we started up this Bible study, and we were re reading through this very commandment here in, in Matthew 5, this idea to love your enemy. And after we read it, everyone agreed. That's a good teaching. We're glad Jesus said that. Yeah. One lady, one neighbor pointed out, she said, the scripture says we're to love our enemy, but it doesn't say we have to like them. We all chuckled, and yeah, that's, that's true. Nods of agreement, general consensus. But myself, being the, the potster that I am, I, I said, so how then do we love our enemy? And there was silence. This is a group of neighbors, people who know each other pretty well. And this group all knew that this lovely woman who had asked this question, that, that she had had some problems with some other people on the block. 
there's 37 houses on my block. We have these little townhomes, and, and some of those are multi-units, you know, units. So, so it's pretty easy to have problems with someone along there. But, but I looked at her, and I asked her directly. I said, if so-and-so, uh, regarding the, the person she was having kind of some troubles with, was, was shot in front of your house, what would you do? Dramatic, I know, but, but I think Jesus was dramatic sometimes too. Her answer was this. She said, I would call 911. Fair. Later on, near the end of our time together, she, she changed her answer just a bit. She said, actually, you know, I don't know if I'd want to be the one that called 911, but I'd like look and see if someone else could call 911. You know, like, hey, this lady was shot. Somebody want to call for her? Like, we got a problem over here. Funny, but not funny. It's hard to love our enemies. During the time of Jesus, the Samaritans, I talked about them, they were a common Jewish enemy. They're mentioned in several stories in the New Testament. And the Jews did not associate. In one of Jesus' most famous stories, he used the Samaritan as a main character. It's seemingly an odd choice, but it's an important one. Jesus picked it for a purpose. Uh, I'm going I'm to read that story with you guys. It's an entirety. It's uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Um, if you have those paper Bibles, it's page 834. Uh, this story that, that, well, I will read the story. I don't need to explain it. On one occasion, an expert of the law, he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Could have left it there. But this man, he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, he was going down the same way, and he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So now just today in, in Scripture, We've read that Jesus tells us that, that even the pagans love those who love them. We've seen today that Jesus tells us that one of the greatest commandments is to love our neighbor. And now Jesus has told a story where the neighbor is an assumed enemy. So how then do we love our enemy? Could it be that Jesus is telling us that we love them as if we love our neighbor? I think so. So what does that look like in reality and in practice? I think the first thing that, that we can say what this might look like is, is right from the original text that we looked at in Matthew 5. 
love your enemy, and pray for those who persecute you. We pray for them. We don't pray that they cease to breathe. We don't pray that their house is miraculously infested with bed bugs, but instead that good things would come from them rather than evil. That God would use them to promote his glory and that they would live their lives to the fullest. We pray that they would be saved, that they would find salvation. See, my friend Chen, he didn't want to share a reward with a terrorist, and he had a good rationale behind that. But that's not the hard truth of Jesus. Jesus tells us to love. Church, will we pray for our enemies? Secondly, I I think we forgive them. Uh, The other week, we, we talked about denying our right to hurt, to hate, to retaliate, so that we could forgive 70 times 7, and we are called to keep on forgiving. You see, whenever Peter brought up this idea, he he asked Jesus about forgiving his brother or sister. It was about a brother or a sister, but I think this commandment is extended to us to forgive even our enemies. For Jesus, our life model, while he was on the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He's literally in the process of being brutally murdered, and he chooses forgiveness because he's the greatest of all time. John MacArthur said, we are not to be enemies of those who may be enemies to us. From their perspective, we are their enemies, but from our perspective, they should be our neighbor. We are not to be the enemies of those who may be enemies to us. From their perspective, we are their enemies, but from our perspective, they should be our neighbor. Love our neighbor. Love our enemy. And maybe we have to own up to some of our shortcomings. Maybe we need to make things right in ourselves and with God, letting go of any hate that we've been holding on to and acknowledging that we've hated something that he's created and something that he's loved, someone that he's loved. And if we've said words or lived out actions that have harmed our enemy, then maybe we extend our remorse and in place of our hate, we recall the love of Christ. Church, will we forgive our enemies? And will we own up when we've done wrong too? And another way I think we can love our enemies, like, like the Samaritan in our love, we can serve our enemies. Are you uncomfortable? This is a hard teaching. The second summer that we lived on, on our block in Philly, there was a house on the corner and it was, it was a drug house. People were coming in and out, buying and, and selling all the time. And, and one night there was a drive-by shooting at this house. And uh, I was like one of the first cars to pull up after, you know, the police were there and stuff. And, and they were loading up a guy that, that I, I knew um, into the police car. He was, he was standing, but you could tell that he was, he'd, he'd been injured in some way, shape, or form. Found out that he'd, he'd been shot in the leg, and thankfully that was, that was the only injury from, from this specific shooting. The next day, I went over and I, I knocked on the door just to see if they were okay. And, you know, I was met with kind of resistant, like, hey, who's there, you know, like, what's going on? And I was like, hey, it's just me, your neighbor, just, just wanted to see if you guys needed anything. I know there was some drama here last night, some problems, and I wanted to make sure you guys were okay. They said, hey, we don't need anything, but, you know, whatever. A couple weeks later, I, I saw, saw the guy. We, we weren't, like, good friends or anything like that. He was just my neighbor, but, but I saw him, and he came over to me, and he said, hey, you were the one who checked on me, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, thanks. You were the only person to come and do that. 
And I realized that, that most of my neighbors were, were likely practicing being shrewd and being careful. I mean, if there's violence that happens in one place, you don't want to just go put yourself in that harm's way. And I, and I understand that. And I, and I can respect that. But I also fear that, that many were just kind of thinking, these guys got what they had coming. You know, they were the enemy, the other. And, and maybe they did get what they had coming. But that thinking, that thinking doesn't seem to be the way of Jesus. So church, can we serve our enemies? Now these are hard teachings. And there may be some of us here that, that we're just not ready. We're not ready yet to pray for our enemies. We're not ready yet to forgive our enemies. We are definitely not ready to serve our enemies. But maybe loving our enemies like Jesus, maybe that can be our goal. If there's too much anger, there's too much hate, there's too much pain between you and your enemy, maybe your prayer can be, Father God, like, I want to be like Jesus and love my enemy. So, So help me start to get to that place. I speak from a place of privilege when I talk about loving your enemies because though I've been hurt, my life is not full of the deepest, darkest traumas that some of you may have faced. But I think our heart has to get there that place where we want to love our enemies. I got one more main thing I want to share before I close out, and, and that's the more that we love our enemy, the more human they become to us. Human, like us. The more human they become to us, the more like God they become as well, because as we're all created in the image of God, and in loving them as humans, made in God's image, we can understand just a little more How loving others is a way that we love God. For whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did unto me. You see, when my neighbors were just drug dealers, they were the enemy, some nasty other. But by praying for them, forgiving them, and serving them as I was able, just maybe I was able to see a little bit of how God sees us. God, who demonstrates his real love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Sin. Evil. Darkness. That's the enemy that God despises. That's the enemy that had us. The enemy that separates us from life. But God in his mercy, he through Jesus, reconciled us to him. He brought us back to life. He saw us not as sin and evil incarnate, but as humans worth redeeming. You see, the people who are committing the wrong, they are still, as hard as it is to be believed, someone that he loves. And the hard teaching of Jesus is this, love them. Maybe for you, that's that's someone in this room. Maybe that's someone at work. Maybe that's someone in your family. Maybe that's a group of people that you're just hating from afar. Maybe it's a person that you've put far from your mind as it's just too painful to even think about their face. Love them. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love them. Okay, really. Let's love our enemy. Jesus didn't say all these beautiful words just so we could quote them, marvel at his eloquence. I could preach about them in a sermon or we could put them on our t-shirts. He said them because he meant them. He lived them because they were important and he's called us to live them as well. So please, when you leave here today, examine your heart, talk to your friends, talk to your family, and together let's imagine and let's actually try to love our enemies. Let's pray. God, Lord, please help us to open our eyes and our hearts. Help us to love our enemies. Lord, sometimes it can just seem impossible to try to figure out how do I love this person that that I have so much against or has done so many wrong things to me or has hurt me in so many ways. And yet on the cross, somehow you manage to say, Father, I forgive them. And Lord, we know that we probably are not capable of this kind of love ourselves, but because of you and your love, we can try and we can choose and you can help us love our enemies. And so God, let us be willing. Let us open our eyes. Let us love as you have loved us. Amen.